In the payment processing space, John, it's like, it's very shady. As a business owner, you're like, wait a minute, I got scammed? I'm like, wait a minute, these people are just robbing people. But you've already signed so many contracts. You signed your life away. When the business owner calls the company, they basically tell them, go pound sand, F you. Because they already have you binded in contracts. Welcome to the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Show, where our goal is to uncover the truth about business and introduce you to the people, tools, and strategies to make your mind, life, and money bulletproof. In this episode, I sat down with Kazra Moranu. Kaz is the CEO of Ecom Payments, has processed over $12 billion worth of transactions for some of the most well-known companies in the world, including my own, and is one of the most helpful people that I know. In this episode, we discuss the dark side of credit card processing, how many payment processors scam unsuspecting businesses out of billions of dollars for years without them realizing it, and how to overcome even the the toughest of business challenges so you can thrive in 2023 and beyond. If at any point as you're watching, if this seems helpful for you, just tap that like button and subscribe. It will help the YouTube algorithm show this video to more people. That said, let's dive in. Payment processing is not something that I went to school for. It's not something that I understood. Uh, growing up, I never knew what it was. I don't think most people do until they actually start using it themselves and something happens, right? Yeah. So and for context, just real quick, payment processing for the kindergarten oh, mind. Sure. So when you pull out a credit card, yeah. right? If you're at a store and you, you're you buying, I don't know, uh, some groceries, you have to enter a credit card, yep. right? Or if you're online, you have to type in your credit card number, right? Yeah. Someone has to handle that particular process from start to finish, making sure that it goes from point A to point B, point B being your bank account. Right. Give me like kind of a bit of a timeline from like, were you like always an entrepreneur starting from the time Were you like the 10 year old guy, like selling popsicles, you know, no, or what, uh, what was your journey? No, not at all. Not even close. Okay. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Hey, right. <laughs> I feel like I knew that I grew up on just that side of Detroit. Right? What side? Uh, just outside of Detroit. Oh, shoot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Where you know were you? Like West side. So I grew up in the Northwest side. Where? Uh, Plymouth. Oh, that's right. That's yep. right. Yeah. We yeah. were in Birmingham. Okay. Yeah. I got a lot of family there. Now. Yeah. 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 So, you know. So I, did, I feel like I knew that. It was. Yeah. I forgot too, man. Yeah. So grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I was actually adopted by my grandparents, hmm. right? My biological grandparents. My mom wasn't doing too well. Dad wasn't doing too well. So they actually adopted At me. what age? As a baby. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And my mother, she was around, but you know, substance abuse, things like that. My dad, uh, I knew him, but I never like lived with him per se. Mm -hmm. And I got to know him as I, as I got older. So I didn't come from like, you know, uh, you know, the greatest background. My, my grandparents loved me to death though. Right. And that was the one thing that, that, you know, kept me afloat, right? Yeah. My grandmother's prayers, you know, they owned the church that we lived literally on top of the church. No shit. No, no, no exaggeration. Huh. Like you have this beautiful freaking, people have beautiful homes, right? Yeah. We drove into the church gotcha. and then the church had a door where we can go upstairs and we literally lived on top of the church. My grandfather was, he was the preacher oh. and my grandmother was the, the, I think they call him the first lady or something like that. So that's all I knew growing up. Like, no exaggeration. It was church, church and school, but church first. Yeah. Right. And um, growing up in the inner city of Detroit, the, you know, the hood, the ghetto, whatever term people like to use. So there wasn't a whole bunch of like uh, education you had. Unfortunately, I don't want to sound like a rapper, but, you know, you had three things. Basketball, 
drugs and maybe entertainment. Yeah. That was like, that was your shot. And everyone was going for one of those three things. And I thought basketball would be my thing. Obviously it didn't work out. Right. <laughs> so, um, I was, uh, not a bad child, but I guess misguided, troubled, mm. you know, you have your environment, your influences, things like that. So long story short with that, didn't do too well in school. Uh, ended up being moved over to New Jersey where my uncle was. They thought that, um, you know, he could do a better job with me because I didn't mm. live with my, you know, you have older, you have, grandparents can't keep up with like freaking teenagers, man. Yeah. It's, just, it's just too much. So uh, moved there and I went to school in New Jersey, went to community college there, mm. uh, played a little bit of basketball. Then I went to Rutgers and finished at Rutgers. And man, you know, you know what the college experience is. I do. You're right, right. So when you graduate, you're like, okay, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And I bumped my head around. It took me, first of all, like nine years to finish school, right? I just didn't know. I was changing my major. Didn't know what I wanted to do. I got a finance degree. I got an engineering robotics technology degree that I don't know what to do with it, right? Yeah. To this day. Um, I guess it helps you think, I guess. Um, and when I finished college, man, I, I worked, uh, I finally got a job that had nothing to do with my degree. And the degree didn't even matter, to be honest with you. Mm. I got a job working at the Federal Reserve Bank as a consultant. Uh, I worked at Goldman Sachs as a consultant. And I was the liaison between technology and finance. Mm. So, and luckily for me, thank thank goodness, thank Godness, whatever. I moved every single day in the morning. I would take the PATH train, they call it, from New Jersey to the uh to wall street okay 85 i think it's called 85 i forget whatever to goldman sachs and that summer i think i graduated in i forget whatever the summer was for 911 okay uh 2001 yeah 2000 I graduated yeah. from college and long story short man i was in florida but if i had have stayed in new jersey i would have been at the world trade center that morning oh wow yeah and so um uh, I did that stint at Goldman Sachs for Reserve Bank for like two, three, four years or so. And I uh, had a chance to experience that. People were making really good money over there. Mm. A lot of people were on substance, you know, abuse as well or abused by substances. I really want to look at it. And then I was like, okay. Like what do I- Wall Street style? Oh, like- my God, dude. It was like you would leave work and like I would get there at 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. I would leave at 6 p.m. Okay. I'll go across the street. When you, when you come outside the building across the street with drug dealers just waiting, I got to a point. I said, you know what? I gotta find something different. I went online, I Googled. I wanted something, because I loved working with people. Yeah. I loved talking with people, but I wanted my time. I wanted some mm. level of freedom. And I wanted to be able to think freely at the same time. And in those environments, you cannot do that, right? Everything is so regimented. And there's nothing wrong with regimentation, but like, damn, let me think, right? Everything can't be about a test. And so I Googled. Uh, payment, pro- it wasn't payment processing, but I think sales, okay. and merchant services, which I had never knew what merchant services was. And I remember there were a lady who was the HR person at that sp- this particular company, whose name I won't mention because, man, they get crazy lawsuits. I don't even want to mention their name because they have so much money as well. They can okay. sue me. But this company in Irvine, California, right? Um, and she was like, listen, if you come over here, you'll be making money. It's a hundred percent commission. I, you know, I'm comfortable making my $38,000 after mm-hmm. like five years before taxes. I'm like, yeah, I, at least I'm, I'm able to buy a car now. Right. Yeah. And so the opportunity was jump ship, leave your $38,000 per year salary and come over here. You can make a 50,000 a year. You can make a hundred thousand a year or you can make nothing. 
And I said, I need to talk to someone in your sales department. I talked to a guy. He's like, listen, man, I made $16,000 this month. I was like, what? Yeah. $16,000? And this is what? Uh, payment process. Year. This is what year-ish? Ooh, the year-ish. Um, now, it would probably be, let's say, maybe 12, 13 years ago. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, okay. Something like that. So 2010 Yeah, something like that. Okay. I'm just trying to get a timeline. We got Goldman Sachs, then we did this whole crazy. Yeah. We ran a whole school. <laughs> and, and then you started Googling, how do I get some freedom? And you came across an advertisement for a job in sales, and it was yeah. payment process. Payment process. Okay. And so I told the school, hey, look, my auntie's sick. Need, like, I think they call it, is it not bereavement, but whatever, time off. Yeah. And they said, okay, well, we'll do that. And you have one more check coming. That might have had about, you know, $2,000 saved up. Yeah. So they gave me two months off. The first month, I used what I had in the bank account. The second month, right now, at the same time, I fly out to California, right, to do their two-week training. Because mm -hmm. I don't know what merchant services is. Right. And... Now I'm back home trying to make it happen. 100% commission. The checks aren't coming in. The comfortable checks aren't coming in from the school anymore. Second month, I'm like, damn, I have a half a month's rent left. I got to make this thing work because mm. I'm not selling anything. I'm not, I'm door knocking, going to businesses saying, hey, I'm here. You don't know me, but by the way, why don't you switch your payment processing over to me? Right. And I'm, I have this like binder. I look like the ultimate sales dork. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like super dupe, like sales all over me. Yeah. And I go through this like uh, presentation, like the, the flip chart or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, okay, that sounds good, but I got to think about it. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I'm getting ready to be homeless, right? Because I didn't have any more money left to pay my rent. And so I'm thinking to myself, what do I come back home and tell my children and their mom? What do I say? And so it got so bad, John, I swear I was going to report myself missing. Right. Because you know, who wants to come up and say, hey, we're getting evicted. You know, I already quit my job. I got two children there. They have, you know, my daughter has dance. My son has sports. You know, the mom, they're comfortable. You know, everybody's like, they, they, uh, what are you doing? You quit your job and now we got to be homeless. So I didn't want to go through that experience. Right. And I know their mother would have gave me hell. Hmm. And so I was like, I got to just report myself missing. Maybe I'll find a job. And then in six months, because they could just go back to their, to her mom's house. But I don't, I didn't, I didn't want to go through that. Wow. And so um, luckily I didn't have to report myself missing <laughs> because there's some guy at that company who gave me some inspiration. And I was like, dude, like I'm not able to sell anything. He says, man, listen, whatever you do, don't quit. He told me that whatever you do, don't quit. And it just stuck with me. Man, I don't even remember his name, but he really inspired me a lot. Hmm. And I didn't quit. And then I became the fastest starter they've ever had. I started getting deal after deal after deal because I dropped the sales book. I dropped the pitch and just became myself. Hmm. And then that first year coming from 32000 I think I might have made 85000 or $90,000, which is more than I had made working at the school. Then the second year, I think I made like a hundred and something thousand dollars. So now I have my freedom. I can get up in the morning and I can yawn if I want to without having to rush to work. You know, I can breathe, right? I can go play basketball. I can do, I had time with my, my children, my family, and I still had more income coming in. So that's essentially how I got into payment processing uh, in a nutshell. There's, yeah. there's a story behind it after that, but that's how I got into it. So that's amazing. Um, Appreciate it. The, well done. I'm glad you did because you helped me out a lot, which I is a, probably going to be in a whole nother YouTube video at some point, to be honest. <laughs> oh, man. Um, the, 
parlay from there into starting a actual payment processing company and your parlay from a mm. uh, sales guy to I'm going to start my own business, which then opened up a whole new can of worms that uh, you've mm. been dealing with over the last couple of years, which we'll get into in a second. What mm. was the, what was the catalyst between I'm going to be a sales guy to I'm going to start my own payment processing company. So at this company in Irvine, California, after that two week training period, I didn't understand crap at the time. Mm. So the first week they call it a ride along where you shadow a salesperson. Yeah. And they would go into a business, the business owner would give them their merchant statement. The salesperson would say, okay, here, let me analyze that for you. Do some like freaking Egyptian crypto math or something like that, that only works at their company. Right. right? And then tell that particular business owner, this is how much money we can save you, mm. right? Numbers were pulled from out of people's butts and every ears and everything. And they would call some other guy at the merchant services company and say, hey, I don't understand this. Give me some numbers to plug in. Mm. He would do his, you know, Egyptian math or whatever, right? And so I didn't understand. Like, I'm like, man, I have a finance degree, but I can't do basic math because all it is is addition, subtraction, and division. There's no calculus or anything like that. No. And at the time, I didn't understand that that math only worked at their location, right? At, at the merchant services companies, yeah. right? And, you know, they say, like, numbers are important, but sometimes numbers can lie. Or, or the people who use them, right, yeah. know how to, you know, twist them up or whatever. And so I'm like, John, I'm like crushing it. I'm like the best sales guy. Um fire dude, right? Mm -hmm. they, they want me to join the team to train other people. And I'm considering it, right? Because, you know, they had a birth, they had a Christmas party at, the, at like the owner's house. And I'm like, damn, like, mm -hmm. that was my first time ever in something like that. I'm like, these guys are crushing everybody. What was the house like? It was like on the hills in California. Like when you go to just driving through the neighborhood, it's like, okay, this is different, mm -hmm. right? And then when you get to the house, it's like a walkway, like some like palace almost. And when you get in the house, you know, you have a living room. And when you look out their window where there's, it's not even a swimming pool. It's like they're literally on the hills. Wow. And all you see is California. And right. what were you feeling at the time when you first saw that? Oh, I was like, damn, maybe I can have this. Mm. I really felt like maybe I can have this. And they had actually come to Florida and had dinner with me. Like I was their guy. Yeah. Right. And we're talking about people who are making like, millions and millions and millions a month. You know, Wells Fargo recognizes them as one of the best. First Data was giving them awards every year. Like, these guys are freaking crushing it. Like, yeah. $5 million yeah. to them doesn't even move the needle. Right? We're talking about $60 million a month kind of people. Yeah. And so, I become their guy. And, like, they already have the nucleus and they want me to kind of, like, join in. Right? And um, I'm considering it because, you know, why not, right? I'm mm -hmm. just, I'm the sales guy. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And I bring a friend of mine into the business, right? And he goes through the training and something that he said kind of woke me up, right? Do you wish that you had the limitless pill? Well, this 100K a month thinking system might just be the next best thing. If you're feeling frustrated and stuck in your business, and you just want to operate at the level that you know that you're capable of, I'd like to invite you to click the link in the description and get instant access to my seven-figure mindset secret system where I'm going to walk you through step-by-step step everything that you need to start thinking like a millionaire and begin seeing shifts in your business in 24 hours or less. So go check that out and let's get back to the show. Something that he said kind of woke me up, right? Mm. He, with those POS terminals that I mentioned earlier, those, you, you can buy them for say, sometimes a thousand to 15,000. But for purposes of this conversation, 
those systems couldn't have been any more than maybe 800 bucks. Okay. Sometimes you can buy them for a hundred bucks. And what this company would do is they would take those credit card terminals and lease them to business owners. So the credit card terminal could cost a hundred, but you can lease it to them for a hundred bucks a month for 48 months. Mm -hmm. Do the math on that. Yep. A hundred bucks a month for 48 months. Sometimes you can lease it to them for 200 bucks a month mm. for 48 months, 500 bucks a month for 48 months. Terminal costs $99, $99. Yeah. There were people. So when I talked to that guy the first time on the phone who said he makes 16,000, I learned that 16,000 came from leasing a terminal mm. that cost a hundred It wasn't bucks. actual processing fees. That's just a terminal. Oh shit. And as a business owner, you're like, wait a minute, what the freak is this? I got scammed? You telling mm. me this machine, I'm paying you 100 bucks, 200, 300 bucks a month for a credit card terminal? Right? Yeah. You say, I I'm out. I'm done. But you've already signed so many contracts. You signed your life away. You want to be done? Be you're going to be done with your house, your car, because you're personally guaranteeing it. You've initialed it at least 15 times. It's like a mortgage, dude. Yep. And when I brought my friend in, the way they told us to sell it with all kinds of incentives and bonuses is that they can stop it whenever they want to. Hmm. Right. And that it stops. The customer can. Correct. Okay. And that it stops after four years. Well, some kind of way, my friend, I guess he read it or something like that. He's like, dude, you know, these don't stop. I said, yes, they do. He's like, no, they don't. I said, dude, they do stop. And so what happened is once I finally read the contract, I realized after 48 months, it doesn't stop. What happens is, is that particular business owner has to now buy out of the lease <laughs> and send the equipment back. First and of all, they were not able to process credit cards. Well, if they, they buy that. another equipment, like if you spent $10,000 or $6,000 for a terminal, yeah. you definitely don't want to have to buy another one. You figure that one right. should be given to you, yeah. right? Or another one should be given you to you. You would hope. You would hope. And so when I learned that, and I'm like, wait a minute. It's kind of like a repo. Dude, it was, it was, it was a kind of gangster move. Yeah. Because you're already paying you know, 10 times the price for the credit card terminal. Yeah. If you want to stop it, you have to pay all, the entire, whatever's left over or whatever's, like let's say you started month. Like the lease buyout, basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to buy now buy another piece of equipment and you have to pay a penalty on top of that. And while you have the device, you're paying taxes, you're paying insurance for it, you're paying an annual tax on it. Then you get to the credit card processing because the way you do one thing is the way you do most things. All those numbers have been fudged over. So now you're paying five times the amount. And if you want to get out of that, then you have another fee mm. that you got to pay. Like, dude, it was so crazy. And I was like, wait a minute. This is not what I signed up for. And I had become good at it. Right. You know, I'm leasing. I wasn't leasing for 500 bucks. I think I think I did do one lease for 500 bucks a month. And so mind you, I come to you and you trust me. Right. I'm here face to face with you in your yeah. business. You trust me. Right. And now you find out that I screwed you over. I call the company and say, hey, man, we need to fix this. They're like, screw you. Hmm. And when the business owner calls the company to resolve it, they basically tell them, go pound sand, F you. Wow. Like nasty, like super, because they already have you binded in contracts and they'll just sick their attorneys on you. And so when that started to happen, I realized like, you know what? And, and here's the, the, another thing that caused an issue. There's something called PCI compliance that every business yeah. must have, right? And there's a reason for it. 
And normally what happens is, is if you're not PCI compliant, you're going to get charged maybe 20 to, I've seen as high as 45 bucks per month for not being PCI compliant. Okay. Well, this particular business found a way to charge you 150 bucks per month. Mm. And I was like, dude, I remember the customer calling me saying, hey, dude, I just got charged. I, I, I gave you 15 locations. I'm being charged 150 bucks at each location for the past 10 months, right? And I said, oh, man, that must be a mistake. Just call the company. The company told him, oh, get the refund from Kajra. I'm like, I didn't even I look at my invoice, like how much money I make. I'm like, I didn't even get a part of it. You want me to give? I don't even know what this is. Oh, it's the bank. You know, just constantly deflecting. And I'm like, wait a minute. These people are just robbing people. So then I started to look into how I'm being paid. And I realized I'm being robbed on top of it because I didn't read. I didn't take my time to read the contract because they told me, here's the contract, Kajra, if you want to work with us. And if you don't sign it, now I'm in California. If you don't sign it, you go home today. Like, like. Sign yeah. this right, so you don't really have time to read it and really yeah. understand it. And if you don't like it, you just got you kicked out. I already quit my job, right? Yeah. So um, that was you know the last straw for me, and I told them my auntie was sick. Okay. <laughs> I said because here's the thing: when you leave, like I have this recurring income built up that I'm yep, making. Yep, up. yep. That's my livelihood. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm about I don't know twelve thousand dollars a month, sixteen thousand a month. And the way they work is if you leave, you leave all that as well. Mm-hmm. They're going to keep it. That means free. And they're already only giving you 20% when you think you're making 60%, right? And that's the scam, right? And so when I finally leave, man, and um, they find out that my auntie's really not sick, so they start holding all my money. Luckily, I got one $16,000 check that came to me to kind of help me stay afloat. I went to another company. Within six months, I had built up more income because they weren't robbing me as much. So you went to another company, company doing sales. Same, same thing. Okay. Same okay. thing. Yep, okay. Same thing. And then he started to do the same thing with the PCI thing. 150 bucks a month, 170 bucks a month. Call and say, hey, what is this? Oh, the bank. What bank? Um, well, this bank, but you can't talk to the bank. You can't know who the bank is. So, oh, just the bank, huh? Like mm. B-A-N-K. Like I can't get a name of the bank to see if it's true. Just And so that's what made me say, you know what? Let me just how can I start my own thing? Mm-hmm. And there was a guy at that initial company who had been trying to connect me with another guy who does operations. Mm-hmm. He says, dude, you're great at sales. Let me connect you with the guy who does operations, which is my ex-partner yeah. who I had in you know, electronic commerce. And so um, we finally connect. I fly out to North, you know, Northern California. We hit it off really well because he had worked at that company as well, and okay. I, but I never knew him. Mm. And so we connect. The first company that you were talking about. Correct. Okay. Yep. I had never known him. I never met him. I think he had already gone by that time. And so we start something. Um, it's called a retail ISO. Mm-hmm. ISO stands for Independent Sales Organization. So we become a retail ISO up under First Data. That's what it was called at the time, First Data, where you bring people in for processing, but they do the underwriting. Yeah. They handle the risk. So they really control the entire relationship and the actual paper, the agreement that you sign. It's like white so, labeling. Correct. Yeah. But you pay $10,000 to feel like, you know, you're the owner. Yeah. Wow. You're the owner of your white label, basically. Mm-hmm. And so, man, we're crushing it in sales, but not in money. Mm. And we're like, man, like we're running, like the more sales we do, we start, we run backwards. <laughs> and, we're mm. like, and so we start to say, hey, can you explain these numbers to us? Finance will explain that to you. Okay. Another month. Hey, man, we don't understand these numbers. Finance will explain that to you. Well, who is in finance? We can't reveal who that is. Like, 
What do you mean you can't reveal who it is? And so we can never get anywhere. We finally get a name, right? But that person does his name. Here's what I learned <laughs> working in the retail department or working in retail for payment processing. They would give us a name. Your, your real name is John, but to your clients or your vendors, your name is Bert. Okay. You don't give me your real name. You don't even give me your real email. Hmm. So when I have an issue, I know you as Bert, right? <laughs> and all my data is up under Bert. Bert leaves. Bert's on vacation. I finally call and speak to somebody else. Hey, I need to talk to Bert. Bert, who's Bert? Like, what do you mean? Like, Bert was working on helping us understand the finances. Dude, we don't have a Bert that works here. Like, like come on, man. Like, I was just, here's the emails. <laughs> we don't know Bert. So, same thing would happen with some of our clients. Like I brought this organization in called Association of Nigerian Doctors. The word Nigeria was in it. So I guess somebody at First Data saw the word Nigeria and said, oh, let's hold all the funds. Immediately. They don't tell me because they own the relationship. Hmm. They start calling the client who they've met. The client, I bring you on board. Yeah. Somebody calls you named uh, Mustafa, who has this heavy accent. And he tells you, hey, we're, we do your processing. You like click? What the freak? Who are you? You yeah. only know me and the right, company right, that right. I show you. Mustafa is holding your funds, and unless you get in contact with Mustafa, you call and you finally say, "I say, listen, man. If they call you, I don't know who's going to call you, but if they call you, answer the phone and give them the answers that they need to release your funds." So finally, you're like, okay. And Mustafa doesn't call you, or when he does, he doesn't leave a message. Finally, after about two months, you finally get a message. And then now you start calling Mustafa back, but Mustafa is not there because that's not his real name anyway. <laughs> right. Holy shit. Right. And after a while I said, you know, to myself and my business partner, like, man, what is the game here? Is there an incentive to hold people's funds? Right. Or do these, do these people even understand the business that they're doing risk and underwriting for? Because there was some people, there were some business owners who would come to us from the country of Curacao. You ever heard of Curacao? Um, yes. Okay. So, you know, it's a real thing. It's a country. Yes. Yes. We had risk analysts who would hold the business owner's funds because they said that word Curacao, that sounds pretty strange. We're like, dude, it's a country. I've never heard of it. Okay. And therefore they would just hold the funds. So we're like, you know what? People can't be that ignorant. And so we're thinking like, maybe there's an incentive to hold the funds. Right. And we said, you know what? We got to get away from this. And so we got to a point where we became an FSP, which stands for full service provider. That's where you do all your own underwriting. You handle all your own risk. You crunch all the numbers. Now you can see behind the curtains. You don't have to wait for the mystical finance people yep. to get back in contact with you. Who and for the, for the kindergarten okay. people, underwriting is as if I'm five years old. Sure. Underwriting is your merchant. You fill out a merchant application. Meaning I want to process, with right. I want to take credit cards for stuff. Right. And underwriting is the same as well, even for insurance, but let's just say for payment processing. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to underwrite you to make sure that you qualify and how much you qualify for. Like when you try to get an insurance plan, they have to underwrite you to see, okay, how does a guy live? Does he jump off the building for fun? Yeah. Right. How much money does he really have versus how much we have to insure him for? So in payment processing, when you use, when somebody uses a credit card, we're essentially loaning you the money, hoping right. that we get it back. Right. Right. And so, okay, let's look at his website. Let's look at his social media. So you just, you check me out to make sure that I'm a safe guy to do business with. Correct. Okay. Like, 
is he actually selling a product? Yeah. Is it a, just so you know, there's secret shoppers out there. We do secret shopping. Visa MasterCard does secret shopping as well. Yeah. They'll buy your product, see how long it takes to ship. And on your website, it says ships in one day, like your Amazon or something. Mm-hmm. But it takes, it took 45 days for them to get your product. So right. somebody's lying, right? And um, so underwriting involves really just assessing who you are as a business right. and the actual financial status, right? You know, you want to do $5,000 ticket, but you have $5 in the bank account. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like something, yeah. it, it won't match up. And so a full service provider is instead of you just being the sales guy for somebody else to fulfill and do the underwriting and risk assessment and processing, it's everything all under one roof. Tech, everything. Cool. Even if you process a million dollars, and you do something funky and lose a million, then we're on the hook for it. Right. Whereas at the retail entity, the entity doing the underwriting risk, they would be on the hook for it. Makes sense. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> uh, for those for those of you playing along at home. Um, all right. So you started a, your own shop with mm-hmm. doing everything under one roof. Everything. What happened next? By that time, my business partner and I had been through so much hell with understanding all the games that are played out there, you know, the mystical people in finance, all the alias names, uh, being hit over the head by the companies we worked for before. You come in, something says you're gonna make 60%, but in fine print, 60% mm-hmm. of 30%, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, not of 100%. Of 100%. Yeah, in pesos. <laughs> in pesos, right? <laughs> and so I think, and so long story short, so we're doing well, yeah. right? We start off, it's, it's a super duper learning curve though. I, I kid yeah. you not, you gotta have, controllers, you got to have accountants, you got to have attorneys, you have to have really good salespeople, you have to have uh, COOs or chief operating officers to really kind of run this entity for you, right? Or help you run the entity. And then you also have to have a sponsor bank so that that particular sponsor bank will be responsible for moving money from point A to point B Mm. on your behalf, right? And they have to agree to sponsor you. They don't give you any money, so I don't know why they call it a sponsor bank. You give them money, yeah, but they're your sponsor bank. You have to have one. Gotcha. And so... We're humming, right? And we start making money. We're doing well. And uh, my business partner, just to be honest with you, and this is something that there were signs and flags. Mm -hmm. Now I realize that I ignored then, right? It's almost like, you know, you have a pimple on your nose and you see it coming. You can feel it coming, but you don't do anything about it. You don't Mm -hmm. take a hot rag and put it on your nose. You don't steam. You don't do anything. You just keep eating whatever, doing whatever you're doing. Then boom, one day it's like this freaking big zit, right? And that's what happened to me. And so- Mm. And you guys were processing how much money? I would do billions a year. Yeah, how many billions? Every year, billions. Yeah, but how many billions? We probably did 12 billion. We probably had like at least maybe 12 billion by that time or something like that. We were doing billions, Okay, right? And um, interestingly enough, we became best friends, right? And initially, we wore, both of us wore every kind of hat known to me. Yeah. I was the sales guy, but I was also in customer service. I was also in tech support. And to make our company look big, you know, we had clients that would call up and I would, you know, squeeze my nose and talk a certain way so people could, you know, they'd be like, hold it. He was just this, at my office. Now he's answering, he can't be answering the phone too. So I'd have to disguise who my voice and he would do the same thing. So it seemed like we had, Eight people in the office. This is when we were starting out. Yeah, it was yeah, just okay. him and I. Okay. And then um, we finally were able to start growing by bringing other people in, right? Because mm. it was just me as a sales guy. And yeah. he was doing like the operation side of it. And like I said, we both wore different hats. And we started to bring in this sales rep and that sales rep and that sales rep to the point where like we had an actual operation. Yeah. So now we're on the 18th floor in Orange, California. We have this like nice office, you know, overlooking the city because that's what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Right? He wanted to feel like, you know, yeah. we had made it because we, we, me back up, we had an office in Texas. 
but it was a little bitty, it was like a little bitty ghetto office, okay. right? We had to start. Yeah. So now we get to the point where we have this really nice office and we can actually hire people and give them like really nice salaries. Like people will come in there and say, these guys are doing well, right? Yeah. And so, um, and we are doing well. And then something happens where some very clever men, so this is what happened. Col well, first of all, some very clever men, COVID happens. And so I'm not going back and forth to the office because travel was restricted during that time. Mm -hmm. I would normally go every week or every other week. And you were living in Florida. I was living Florida, in Florida. Right. Yeah. COVID happens. And these people who, he, who he's talking to are telling him, hey, man, we can make you the man. You're going to be like the Jeff Bezos of payment processing. We to you. No, to him. To him, okay. Right? Because he's telling me, man, they're going to train me and do this. They're going to train me and do that. They, this is what they do. And they're going to teach us how to get to another $100 million in six months. I'm like, dude. And I had never met them. Never this, is them. this is an income for the company, you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah. on on $12 billion in processing, what is like the what is the income for a processing company off of that? Off of $12 billion? Yeah. Uh, it Yeah. Like, it was like, like a rough percent. We only making small percentages, right. say like one or two percent or something like that. Okay, okay. Believe it or not, but you know you can. It depends, but that's still depending on your twenty yeah, million dollars. Yeah, depending on your pricing. Yeah, right. Depending on right, your right. pricing, and so and just just to retract, we would only be doing sometimes one point five billion a year. Yeah, but you can make millions off of that. Right, or. If you have a lot of low risk business like grocery stores and like cleaners who they like cry over pennies, man, yeah. you don't make as much money at all. Got you. Right. So it really just depends on your pricing. Also, how are you advertising? Is it are all the deals in house or mm -hmm. do you have a whole bunch of sales reps who are selling for you sure. who want the lion's share of the profit? And most of the times they'll sell. And then after that, they'll walk away from the client, but they still want to get paid ninety percent, sure, eighty percent. Sure, sure. So I was just trying to get an idea yeah. for the for the viewer and the listener playing along at home. Got you. What? Uh, How much money could oh, you? Yeah, make? yeah, yeah. Right. When you say twelve billion, it's just like what? It's just so that you're you're getting a, a a couple a percent or two on that, but that's still one hundred and twenty million dollars. Right, right, right. You could be making some really good money with it. Now, yeah. just just to retract though. When I say twelve billion, I'm talking about over the course of our. Yeah, yeah. Year. Okay, yeah. I understand. Yeah. So. um so we're doing well, man. And these guys are approaching him. I'm not around. Mm. You know, I'm normally like, hey, man, dude, like, chill out. Yeah. No, let, let's not do that to the sales rep. Let's not do that to the merchant. I know what we've been through, but we don't want to do that. Did you have any idea that these conversations were happening at this point? When with the other men? Yeah. No, because he would kind of like tell me a few things here and there about this guy that's going to train us or train him to help us grow. Because by that time he was handling operations. Okay. I was more so sales predominantly by that time. Yeah. And, and I wasn't like really, I wasn't watching him. I wasn't watching the numbers. Got you. you know what I mean? So I, I trusted him. Yeah. Was there any Brian reason Ray. at this point uh, to not trust him? Like were there any red flags that showed up? In hindsight, there were some red flags okay. for sure. Like there would be a couple cases where, a sales rep who was bringing deals to us would have an issue. Mm. Whatever the issue was, they would have an issue. And there's some crazy sales reps out there, I'll be honest with you, where they want everything for nothing, right? I noticed that. Yeah, right, yeah. right. <laughs> there's a lot of them out there like that. And yeah. there's some who have like emotional issues. Like I woke like today, this morning, I was on the computer and I had a sales rep literally today yeah. before I came here, uh, email me. Or he emailed me last night. I didn't have to respond because yeah. it's the weekend, but I did. And he just went zero to 100 on me. Yo, this is the most horrible company because something that he thought was supposed to happen, 
he thought didn't happen, even though it did happen. Okay, yeah. Right? And yeah. then you have to deal with that kind of Classic. stuff. Classic, right? <laughs> Classic. And then you have a lot of shady sales reps because they, in the, in the payment processing space, John, it's like, it's very shady. Yeah. And so for people who've been in payment processing and they've been selling in payment processing and they've been doing things a certain way, it's almost impossible to teach them how to be ethical because they've been doing something so, mm-hmm. a certain way so long that they don't know any other way, yeah, right? And so you deal with that as well. Um, and what would happen is when they had an issue, he would just cut off their access to, let's say, their CRM where they can calculate how much money they're making. Mm. You say, okay, you, don't, you, wanna, you wanna have an issue with me? I'll show you who's in charge. He just cut off their access. And I'm like, dude, like, don't do that. Mm. Like, you know, express, you know what's happening you know let them know you're not happy with how they're communicating or responding but like don't cut off their access yeah right and he would you know all right you know maybe cut the access back on or something like that and then and then another couple incidents where we'd have a meeting with the sales reps and they would say do you know that you increased the rate to my client and didn't pay me and it's like Kajra, did you know that and i look at him like like you you doing that hmm and he wouldn't really respond. And afterwards, I remember the sales reps left, and I said, "Dude, like, are you like taking money from people?" He was like, uh, and he wouldn't say much, right? And I wouldn't think anything of it because some sales reps lie a lot too. Yeah. So I don't know really. I didn't know who to believe. Mm. Like he, like, this is the guy who's the best man at my wedding. We travel all over the world together. We built the business from the ground up. So I'm likely to believe him, but I didn't verify. Yeah. So I had signs like that mm. for sure. You know, he had a girlfriend who was in the office and uh, man, she was a freaking nut, like a nut, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not saying that what she does, he's responsible for it, but it's a reflection. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a reflection. When I say a nut, she's coming to the office drunk. She spaz out because I don't know, maybe the sex was good and he, you know, didn't kiss her afterwards <laughs> or something like that. Like anything you can think of, it was, when I say crazy, yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, we went, I remember one time we went to, I think, Dominican Republic together. And my wife and I, we're in one room and they're right next door to us. And like, you know, Dominican Republic, like when you go to these resorts, dude, the walls are thick. Yeah. Like it's not like, you know, Florida, like these walls are freaking thick as hell. Yeah. We hear all kind of crazy, like hey. smash and like, whoa, like what could be <laughs> happening over there? We go over there, knock on the door. She comes to the door, man, looking all crazy, hair all over the place. Yeah. He beat me up, all oh, just crazy stuff, right? And so that's the donkeys and shit. In the room. Oh, dude! <laughs> when I say crazy, yeah. I mean like really, really, really crazy. So there were signs, and there were signs where you know some of our clients would have issues. Uh, sometimes our sales rep would have issues with their pay, but it was like I said, it wasn't. It was hard to believe who's telling the truth. Yeah, and um, I regret it now because I ignored those signs, and there were certain things that he would always say to me. In the beginning, at least, he would say, you know, I'm in the driver's seat. You're just in the back looking through the rearview mirror. And I'm like, dude, what do you mean? We're doing this together. Mm. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a we, it's a us, it's not me, right? And another sign that I recall is when, <laughs> listen, so when you sign up for payment processing, if you don't read the contract, man, I feel bad for you. And not everybody has time to read 59 pages of size eight font legalese, right? I get it. He had changed the terms and conditions. So when you sign the contract, that's one thing that you see. Yeah. But what rules the contract are the terms and conditions that are put together by some really crafty attorneys who would do whatever they have to do 
to make sure you pay that invoice, mm-hmm. even if it means screwing you over as a client. So he updated the contract without telling me. So all these, we're 50-50 owners. Yeah. He doesn't have to ask my permission. Mm. I assume he would do the right thing on behalf of the company according to our agreement, right? But if it's not ironclad, he can do it. And even still, you can still do it, right? Yeah. And so he updated the terms and conditions to say that if a client stops processing, you start today, you sign it with me, and you don't get going month one, you don't get going month two because you're getting your ass together, you're getting all these things together. But on the application, you say you're going to do a million dollars a year. That's what you expect to do. Mm. It doesn't mean you're doing a million, you expect to do a million dollars a year. And the terms and conditions, not in the contract, but in the terms and conditions that you haven't read, it says that when you start processing, you have to pay 1% of your proposed or expected value mm. in fees. So what's 1% of it's a million 10 bucks? Grand. 10 grand. So that means per month, you got to pay $800, $1,000 now. That may not be a lot of money to some people, but I don't want to give away $800 for free every month. Yeah. Right? And then when you cancel that contract, you have to pay up to 12 times what you proposed to process mm-hmm. or whatever those fees were for that month. So if you pay 10 grand, now you got to pay 120 or whatever, 140 for whatever that is. And if you don't pay it, now I'm suing you. Mm-hmm. Now, you think of it like this. All these things are happening without me being involved, without a conversation with me. And so now he's suing over 100 clients, right? And I'm like, I'm looking at one of the lawsuits that a client tells me about. He doesn't tell me. Hmm. And they're sued for millions of dollars, right? If you're sued for millions of dollars, how likely are you to want to spend $100,000 to defend yourself, right? Yeah. That it doesn't make sense. So you end up settling. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of that began to happen. Right. And so I had to actually sue him because all these things were happening that were just totally unethical, Mm. way out of order. And I began to sue him. Our sponsor bank jumped in and sued him as well. And I'm not saying he was wrong in every case, but in the majority of cases, it could have definitely been handled a different way. I'm not saying it was illegal because... Mm -hmm. And it, it, the contract was yeah, there. his contract was there. It's unethical as hell. And in some cases, there were some things that I consider to be on the grave between legal and, le- and illegal. And then I also found out that there were some of our clients who probably should have been sued mm-hmm. as well, who were running up 28% in chargebacks and, you know, selling products to their clients and then ghosting them or something like that. Yeah. Or just, you know, misrepresenting and, you know, uh, under-delivering and over-promising. There was a lot of that as well. Yeah. And so some of them should definitely be sued. They were like on the match list, which means that when you harm clients intentionally or you evade your bills or your invoices to visa mastercard or even us we could put you on something called match and sometimes it could be a mistake mm-hmm. right or you just maybe had some chargebacks and maybe you didn't have the money during that time right and they put you on the match list still mm-hmm. right there's so many or you did have the money and you made good and they still put you on the match list like me that that, that happens too <laughs> that happens as well that happens a lot where there's so many different ways to get on that list so um, you know, we have all these lawsuits flying all over the place, like tons of lawsuits flying all over the place, probably 150 lawsuits by this time. Wow. Yeah. And so I'm suing the best man at my wedding and, you know, his attorney, uh, I tried to go to the office. By that time he moved to a different office. He had taken the resources from our business and started another competing firm in our office. He even called one of the companies he had was called Ozark. Hmm. Right. Like the, the TV show. Mm-hmm. And so... 
which is based around money laundering. To be very, to be clear, if you have not seen Ozark, it's about money laundering for drug cartels. Yeah, so, man. Yeah. And so um, I can't get into the office. I finally go in there. Luckily, I had a camera crew with me. That's how bad it was. And I had an attorney with me. I try to open the door. And, you know, two guys bum rush me, don't touch me, don't touch me. You know, like I'm hitting them to get in my office. And I try to go into another guy's office who had came from our sponsor bank, who was now working with my business partner. One of the guys whispering in his ear, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And then he says that I basically, this is a big old bulky guy. His name was like John. And he says that I, I, I basically took the ligaments in his leg because I tried to open the door. This is the guy who weighs like 220 yeah. muscle. Yeah. I'm trying to open the door lightly. He says that I tear his ligaments, so he countersues me. My business partner countersues me and says that I, I brought the, the black Muslims in there and they held everybody hostage for eight hours. They had weapons and, and Bibles and Korans. Dude, it was so good. And I didn't realize, now all this stuff is on camera. Yeah. I didn't realize that you can lie up under oath like that or lie in court like that. Huh. You can lie all day. I mean, their attorney was like, dude, it was so much crazy stuff. They even got a restraint order against me because they filed it without me even knowing about it. I'm in Cali I'm in Florida, they're in California, so you can file whatever. And if your attorney doesn't catch it, or if you're already at $300,000 in legal fees out of your pocket while they're, he's using our company funds to defend himself, right? You're just stuck. So now I have a restraint order against me. I go to the airport. I can't even really fly because I got this restraint order against me like I'm some kind of violent offender. Hmm. Right. So by that time, it was so much crazy stuff going on that we finally got to a point where our, you know, we just say, then what? Let's just settle this thing. Right. But by that time, I also discovered that there were a lot of clients who had their money actually taken as an example. And this happens a lot in payment processing, John. Let's say, and this is why some people get on the match list as well, because they're like, wait a minute. I have, let me just give an example. This is a friend of mine who was processing. He got to, he was, he got to a point where he was doing a million dollars a month. And right around, I think, Black Friday and then Christmas, right? The, the month of December, he's doing a million bucks a month. Yeah. His website goes down. Mm. We don't know why. We can't see it, but we have to be able to see that as a payment processor because you could be selling anything. We got to click funnels went down on Black on Black Friday. Maybe that was funnels, but his was down for a couple of weeks, so yeah, we can okay. bring it back up. Okay. And then he has chargebacks coming in at six percent, seven percent. They can't underwriters and risk analysts can't get in contact with him. He's not responding to emails because his email is down. Mm. And the chargeback, for those of you who have no idea what the hell we're talking about, uh, 1% is considered the... Well, it's 0.9 now. Oh, perfect. So don't go past 0.9. <laughs> this dude was at 6. Yeah, 6%. Six, yeah. Right? And I know the guy. Like, we know each other. Mm -hmm. Right? And then a month later, he says, hey, Kaz, you guys are holding $2 million. I'm like, $2 million? I'm like, dude, how long? He's like, for a month. I said, a month? You're just now telling me? I said, dude, you must have a lot of money. And so by this time, my partner and I, there's a lot of tension, like yeah. I said, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I talked to my business partner who already has these shrewd businessmen who are really controlling him like a puppet. Mm -hmm. But he's a grown man and he has ego and greed involved in it as well. And this is important to understand because by this time, they had tried to get me to give them 50% of the company. Basically, they wanted me to give them my 40% and I become a 10% owner mm. and they distribute the percentages amongst themselves for free. 
Bold ask. Bold ask, right? So they all funneling funneling this through him, not through me. Hmm. Then they have another guy reach out to me. His name is Nick, who's communicating with me about how to broker this deal and make it happen, right? We're going to give you this, or we're going to do this. And I find out he's an attorney, but he never tells me that he's an attorney. This is why I can say this. Because mm. I have, you know, he wants to sue, he can sue me for that. Because I actually have the documentation where he's communicating with me, sending me LOIs and things like that. Mm. But he never says LOIs, letter of intent to Correct. file a suit? No, to or, actually give my percentage up. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> right? Or whether it be selling it or giving it up, right? And so luckily, I had a very, by this time, I had to fire a law firm who didn't know what they were doing because they didn't know the payment processing space. They understood litigation, but they mm-hmm. don't know payments. By that time, I found another attorney who knows the payment space very well. And he helped me like read through the fine print where if I had, a you know, let's say, done the transaction, I would have been screwed because mm-hmm. there were certain things in there that said things like waiver of corporate opportunity, which basically means, dude, you take all the risk for everything I've done mm-hmm. while I walk away, right? I didn't right. know what those words meant, right? Yeah. Legalese. And so I, I I don't sign any of the documentation. And then that's when the lawsuits start kicking in, mm. kicking in, kicking in, right? And so I, by that time, I was like, okay, you know what? His attorney reached out to me or, or to my attorney because they knew each other, luckily, and says, hey, man, listen, Kajra, the attorney that you currently have, this is before I found my attorney. Well, they, I had one attorney handling the litigation, not to confuse your listeners. I had one attorney, a law firm, handling litigation. I had litigation one- is... When they're in the courtroom and making the argument to the judge, correct. that's the litigating right. attorney. Right. So like think right. law and order. Correct, correct. Right. That's the litigating correct. attorney. Right. He does not understand payments, but he tells me this. He says, hey man, listen, Kaja, there's going to be sometimes where you're on top, sometimes where you're on the bottom. You just got to keep fighting. You're going to be rolling over, right? Basically, that means keep paying the invoice. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so... I'm paying a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand out of pocket. My business partner is using our company funds. Yeah, because he's already he had already moved over all the assets to his new companies in our office. Yeah, and so I tell the attorney, I said, "Hey, man, you know, I go into the ring, boom, pop, pop, you know, ding." I said, "Man, dude, I got a freaking black eye." <laughs> he's like, "You know, shake it up, you know, get back <laughs> out there, right?" Next month, hundred fifty thousand. I'm like, "Damn, dude." Got two black eyes. He's like, man, listen, put some ice on it. We're gonna put a razor on it, cut it, let the blood come out, get back in there, right? <laughs> I come back, man, like, dude, my, my tooth is missing. He's like, man, you gotta keep fighting. I'm like, wait a minute. Do you freaking know what you're doing? Cause finally I get to a point where, cause he tells me in the beginning, if you ever have any questions, Kasha, just text me. Mm. So I'm like, cool. I'm texting them like crazy, right? I get a bill for about 90K. I'm like, dude, what is this? He's like, oh, that's the texting. I'm like, how much is it a tax? He's like, oh, $60. I'm like, 60 bucks a tax? I was like, dude, they don't even charge that for prison calls, I think. I'm like, you kidding me? I'm like, man, hold it. This guy's just running game on me. I'm not saying intentionally, but that's the legal game. So I dropped that attorney, bring this other attorney in. Then I finally get to a point where him and I come to a position of let's talk and see if we can work this thing out, right? But by that time, in the back of my head, I already know this guy has taken millions of dollars, getting back to the $2 million, yeah of people's money and here's how he says listen i'll get the guys two million dollars back and we had to hold that so it wasn't like he did it intentionally we had to hold it because you can't have all that money coming in with no website up yeah you know what i mean and um so i tell my guy get an attorney because this is like you know you need to have some legal guidance here right you don't want it to just be verbals and so his attorney agrees with my business partner's attorney who won't communicate with me, hmm. right? 
to agree to release $2 million. So, but in installments of 500K each. So he releases 500K within like a month and a half, right? And then he releases another 500K in another month and a half. Then another 500K and the next 500K should come after all expenses are cleared, chargebacks, anything like any kind of like, you know, fees, anything like that. And so I'm like, cool, resolved. Thank goodness, right? We didn't keep the processing, but at least it's resolved, right? Yeah. This guy that I know, when I see him, he acts really weird to me, like really strange, kind of like, you know, I give, uh, hey man, how you doing? He, right. you, know, you know, like, hmm. like I'm like, man, like why? Like we know each other, right? Yeah. And finally, after about another six months goes by, it's a year now, we, I meet him at a mastermind. I'm like, dude, like, instead of being awkward, like, what's going on? He's like, dude, you're still holding 500,000. I'm like, I thought that was paid. My business partner told me that it was paid. He had already given it back to the guy. This is a year gone by. Damn. I said, how much? He says 500. I talked to my, by this time, my business partner and I are communicating again because we hadn't been communicating because of all the lawsuits. Mm. I said, dude, he says you're holding $500,000 still. He says, no, I gave it back to him. I said, man, you sure? Talk to the guy whose funds were held. He says, yeah, I'm sure. I said, send me the ledger showing that you received 1.5 then. He sent it to me. I sent it to my business partner. He says, oh, okay, let me clear that up. He sends me an invoice of what he's going to give back to the guy who had his money held. It's about 200K. Mm-hmm. And this invoice is something that I don't understand. It's, remember the, you know, the Egyptian map I told you about? Yeah, yeah. The, it had the Egyptian math in it, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Bitcoin, you know, whatever, you know, right. like uh, the blockchain, man, right. right? And so I'm like, dude, I don't understand this. How is he going to understand it? How can I even explain this to him? Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, I'm not doing that to anybody, especially not somebody I know, especially a friend. I'm not doing that. Yeah. And he's like, um, well, you know, what do you want it to be? Right? I'm like, I want it to be what he should receive. Like, you know, minus charge, like whatever, you know. And he kind of ghosts me a little bit. He says, I'll clear it up tomorrow. And he kind of ghosts me a little bit, right? And then, so I just go straight to the bank. I said, because when you have a merge, when you have your funds held, it's held at your sponsor bank's account mm-hmm. up under your name. Right. It's not held at your bank account. You can't just pull it out in and out like that. Right. You're not supposed to be able to. Right. So... I tell you to the bank, just release 500,000. But it's time, by this time, I'm like, you know what? Whatever losses there are, we just have to take it on the chin. Mm. And the bank says, Kajra, we've already released $725,000 to your guy's bank account. Well, it's, uh. it's called a settlement fund. Now, mind you, during the time of the lawsuits, another reason why I had to sue my business partner is because I couldn't even access any data. Remember, I told you I couldn't get into the office? Yeah. Fiserv is our platform that we use. Okay. First data became Fiserv. They give one admin level access to the company. That person distributes it from there. So he locked me out of all the systems where I couldn't even access it anyway. Hmm. And so the bank said, and he's my partner's handling operations. So he had the bank released to him 725 when the guy only thought that he had $2 million. It was actually $2 million and like, let's say $2 million and $250,000. Okay. But he wasn't keeping track of his numbers. So he just thought it was $2 million. He says, well, it, it may be a little more. He doesn't know. And a little bit more, a little bit less. He doesn't know. And so when it came time to give him his money back, since he wasn't keeping track of his numbers, 
they could easily tell him, well, dude, out of your additional, let's just say $500,000 that's due to you, you only get 100000 because you had this chargeback, this, this, that, and other. But how would you know if you keep in, unless you're keeping track of it? Hmm. I could tell you anything. The only reason we knew that it was more than 500 is because I got involved. Yeah. That guy wouldn't have known. So we're... This is, I mean, you probably have 800 stories just like this. Easy. I, I'm i wondering, I kind of want to get to like the lessons learned part of this because I'm. Mm-hmm. we could probably go on for the next three days with stories <laughs> like this and it's totally. like, oh my God. Um, I'm I'm now curious I've, after going, because I've had my fair share of right hooks <laughs> um, and I, you know, it, I, I know people listening to this are like, oh, adversity. And I'm like... I don't know. I, I, I've i been through some shit and I'm listening to you and I'm just like, I haven't been through anything relative to like, I mean, this mm. is brutal. It's brutal. So you now own 100% of your own company, mm-hmm. your own mm-hmm. merchant processing company, mm-hmm. of which I am a happy mm-hmm. client. I appreciate you. Um, I'm curious through all of that. I wonder if you can maybe touch on like, well, first of all, like what what kept you going through all of that? I'll say positively, if you will, and like keeping your shit together. My wife may have to be in here for that one. Um, That was tough, bro. I'm not going to lie. That was tough. What was Uh, the toughest part? The toughest part is that when I realized that my business partner is, when I realized that, shoot, I didn't catch these flags in time. By this time, he was like emboldened, like, I'm doing what I want to mm. do. I'm in charge. I'm in control. Watch me. Mm. And I'm like, damn it. I should have done this. I should have done that. And I'm like telling him, like, dude, whatever you do, like, just chill because I, I'm not going to lay down. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be, it's not going to be a cakewalk like you think, man. I'm trying to let him know, like, dude, don't, without threatening him, don't do it. And my wife was pregnant and she, her, the baby was due any day. And the love, you know, so, you know, I got a wife who's pregnant. And I really don't want to talk about problems with her. And I, yeah, and I did. Stress her out. Yeah, and I did. She had a perfect pregnancy. And because of all the stress and me just, you know, because she wants to know everything. You know how your wife is. She, they know when something is going on. Yeah. You don't want to say it, but they're going to squeeze it out of you, right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> so I ended up telling her what was happening. And she knows him. We've been to South Africa together. We've been all over. And he's just not like a horrible dude. He's just like the influences and mm-hmm. the greed, right? Yeah. The ego. Yeah. And when I tell her what happened, it caused such stress. I forget what the term is when the baby poops inside of the womb and begins, I guess, to ingest it through their lungs. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so when my son was born, perfect pregnancy. We had a, what do you call it, a doula or whatever? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, the midwife thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The whole, I mean, just perfect, beautiful. Yeah. Right? Um, She wasn't vomiting in the mornings or anything like that. She wasn't cranky, nothing like that. And, but when my son is born, um, he comes out, and I don't know how the color babies are supposed to be. I don't know, whatever, right? Yeah. He's like like some alien color, right? I'm like, like, kind of purplish. And they were like, you know, because when you ingest all that poop in your lungs, you know what I mean? It turns you like a purplish kind of color. I would imagine so. Yeah. And so they let her hold the baby for a little bit and then they like rush him off. Yeah. And they start putting all the dude. He was on three life support systems for about two or three weeks. Wow. Yeah. And so, um, by that time, you know, my son is on three life support systems 
And, you know, my wife has always been a person who's always there behind me. Yeah. Behind me in the side in front everywhere. Right. Just like my rock. And so that's not the time for me to tap out. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I will admit it was probably one of the most stressful times. And I probably did some other things to try to take my mind off the stress that, that probably wasn't healthy, just to be perfectly honest with you. You know mm. what I mean? I'm a human, man. Yeah. And um, I, I think what really got me through it is just, you know, first of all, I feel like it was the right thing to do. Remember, I, I kind of grew up in the church. Yeah. Right. Mm. And my grandparents were always people who helped the congregation members. Sure. Always, even to the point of sacrificing family sometimes. I'm not saying it's always good to do that. But I think I have a little bit of that in me mm. where I'll go out and I'll do something that I won't benefit from it because I'm thinking about the next person. So I'd already started the fight. I'm fighting for people who had their money stolen from them because there's no way they would be able to even have a lawsuit because there's no data. Yeah. The da we have the data. He has the data. I don't even have the data. So somebody has to fight for them. Mm. Right. I'm not saying that I'll do it again. Because it's a, I'm out of pocket. I'm paying out of pocket. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing is that my ex-business partner, he's all about the money, right? The bank, as long as they don't lose money, yeah, they're all about the money, right? The client, they're wrong, but they're all about the money. I'm the only guy who's trying to be like you know right. this savior, so to speak. And so, um, so you're just trying to do do the, the right, right thing. thing, trying to do the right thing, right? And, and so now you're, are you totally a hundred percent? Like, what? Where's where does it stand now? Oh, I'm, I'm on the outside fighting him. I'm almost like, uh, is it still a, a client active legal battle? Oh or? man, it's it's going bananas, oh, man. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. When my son was in the hospital, absolutely, that yeah. was the thick of it for sure. And so yeah. we fight another a whole another year, yeah, in in legal battles, right? And then by the time I realized uh, my friend had the two million dollars, which was actually more than two million dollars, mm -hmm. and he had seven hundred and plus thousand dollars that wasn't given to him, we had started to wind down some of the legal yeah. battles between him and I, at least, mm. right? And so we're right now, as in we sit in present time, where are you still going through legal battles? Yeah. Man, shoot, heck yeah, bro. Okay. Because he sued a ton of people. Yeah. Clients that I don't even know. Mm -hmm. Some of them have countersued him because they're saying, hey, man, where's my money? Mm. Like 800,000 here, 900,000 there, few hundred thousand there. And the bank, so we handle the, we hold the risk. Yeah. But next on, on line is the bank. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the bank released the funds to him already. <clears throat> I didn't even have access to get it, thank goodness, right? Because then legally I would be responsible. And so some people are still saying, hey, man, where's my money? And they may come to me because he will ignore them and he doesn't care. So the bank is like, we don't care either, mm -hmm. you know, because as long as they don't have to pay. So there's still lawsuits going on where they sue the old company. but. He's already moved on, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so have you. I I have, but I mean, to be honest with you, man, what I did is acquired the portfolio, right? Right. So some of those suits I wasn't even involved in, but I'm still fifty percent owner of the old company. Mm. And what's happening is that some of those clients who have sued, and I could, I wish I could. Some of these clients are kind of unethical as well. They will when you let's say I sue you. Mm -hmm. Right. And matter of fact, check this out. Do you remember Enron? Yeah. yeah. Remember that whole issue? Yeah. And I met him personally. I forget his name right now. 
But the way they got him to sort of submit is it wasn't didn't have they really they didn't have much on him. They started to go after his family. Mm. Right. So you don't want your wife to have to go down for something that someone's coming after you for. No, that's like the mafia when they say, you know, we're going to grab your wife or take your child. Right. So some of these people who he's who he has sued that have kind of sued him. You have attorneys involved who just want money. You know, I mean, everybody's in it for the money. So they'll just start to sue everybody. Hmm. And so what my ex-business partner, his attorney have done, they say, you know what? Come after us. There's nothing here. He's already taken assets and moved them on to the other companies. Go after him. Yeah. Because they know I'll communicate. And I've also done something where the bank, I've sort of relieved them somewhat of some of the liability, not because I did something wrong or did they something right. I just relieved them. Mm. So at that point, they're like, you know what? If they have to, if they have any legal fees, they can kind of pass it to me. Gotcha. Right. So no, it's not over. Gotcha. <laughs> You're basically in a nutshell. I'm still fighting some of them, uh, like literally uh, every day. Uh, unfortunately, what could, like, let's say if I'm not successful and I just say, you know what, man, screw it. <clears throat> the bank would be on the hook for everything, mm. for everything, right? But I'm not that kind of guy. Got you. Right, so I'm still here. I'm gonna help them try to get their money back. Obviously, I'm not saying that, I, I can't say publicly that he did something illegal, but if you get, if the bank sends you $800,000 of a client's money and they never get it, yeah. You know, you you feel the rest of that sentence in. <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah. So I so you have learned an enormous amount about people. Mm. And I wanna hear and I think this is really now that we have that that whole context, what would you say are one or two of the absolute top lessons that you've learned and what to like tactically look out for to be able to avoid getting screwed over, taken advantage of in whether you're a business owner or you're just a human being navigating the life, you know, navigating life. What is it that you're now, what what are things that like set your radar off of like bullshit guy? (laughs) I like how you said it, man, that is probably even more so than skill sets, man. I think that's a skill in itself. That question you asked is a skill in itself because I'm still learning Mm -hmm. as I'm going. Let's say, for instance, um, first of all, trust but verify. That's mm-hmm. one of my like slogans now, right? I trust what you say, but I have to verify it. And the only way for me to verify it is I must know something about what I'm doing, yeah, or something about what I'm asking you to do, or something about what you're supposed to be doing for me, mm-hmm. right? Because if I just trust you, like many people trust their payment processor after they hold their funds and they give them, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars held and you get back 80, you just trust them. Mm-hmm. But how do you verify? Mm-hmm. Right? So that would be one of the things that I would say immediately. Another BS indicator for me would be a person who has a huge ego. 
right? Now, you, you have to have ego when you're playing sports or you're competitive. You got to believe in yourself. I'm not talking about that kind of ego. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the kind of ego where you need all the glory. Mm. You know, you're smarter than everyone else, right? No one can, no one can tell you anything because you already know everything there is to know, mm -hmm. right? You can't make mistakes, you know? No one can really tell you that you've made a mistake because I guess either you're above making mistakes or you're above being told. Yeah. Right. And at one point, I remember, and I think this is where him and I kind of started going different in different directions, and not just him and I, but I've had this happen with my children's mother as well, where if I tell you something that I should be telling you as a friend or a confidant, as a coach, and you take offense to it, mm. that will also raise a flag for me. Mm. Immediately. Because, you mean, can you give me a basic kindergarten example? Sure. I remember with my, I got to be careful, I'll say this about my children. Well, right? you, like a, you know, I, sure. I tell you, you shouldn't have stolen Bobby's ice cream. You get upset about it. Is that what you're Absolutely. Okay. You, and, and instead of taking the advice, it's like, this is a good friend mm -hmm. or somebody who has my best interest at heart, you get upset about it. You don't want to talk to me or. You do something to let me know I don't like that, right? That's a huge, huge, uh, and, and, a, and a person, basically a person who is not able to correct their behavior. Got you. Right? I'll give you an example really quick. I, um, I'm learning lessons every day, John. I hired a person to do some stuff for me, right? They, you hire people that know more than, more than you, right? That's the whole point. Theoretically. <laughs> right? Theoretically, <laughs> right? And... They're supposed to be doing some stuff for me that I'm finding out is just not being done. Mm. So this is going on for a few months and I appreciate the person and everything they do, the part that they do. So now it comes to another payday and I'm like, hey, listen, how, is, how am I supposed to pay you? That's all. They're like, how do you want to handle payroll? Well, they say to me, well, you don't know what I do for you, but I know what I do for you. Mm, that's not the answer you want to hear. Right. I need to know what you do. Right. Right. It should be clear. Right? Yeah. You know what your wife does for you. Right. right. You don't, there's no guessing game. Right. <laughs> right. And so then the person comes back and says, well, even though there's no proof of what's been done, it can be written down. Right. There's no documentation. It's just, I know when you don't, and they still want to be paid. Yeah. That's a flag. Hmm. That's okay. That means to me, that says, you know what? I don't care how this negatively affects you. I only care about how it benefits me, which is all throughout the payment processing world. Yeah. Right? That's how the whole game happens. Let me see how I can get over on you. Whether it be a bank, whether it be your business partner, whether it be the salesperson, those are flags now that I look for. Like we, we recruit salespeople. Mm -hmm. And if I just had a guy just this week who basically in 2021, he signed his, he brought a client on and signed him up for some crazy Egyptian pricing again. And then now the client is realizing it and he says, you did it. I'm like, dude, I didn't even have a company with you at the time. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Well, you got to pay it back. Now he's already at 90% split. Yeah. I mean, he gets 90% of the profit, but he wants us to give this client back like something like $60,000. And he's constantly sending emails, you know, trying to create this paper trail to say, it was you, 
just because now I've taken over that portfolio, we didn't, weren't even in existence as a business then. Yeah. Luckily for me, we keep documentation. I send him the agreement that he put together where he's the one, because he says, you guys set the pricing wrong. Now on the agreement, it shows that he set the pricing, he signed off on it. He didn't know we had that from 2021. Yeah, yeah. And I said, hey man, listen, I sent him the, the documentation. I said, if this is, I'm, I'm gonna report this right away. This must be fraud. This mm. has to be fraud. So let me report this right away. He's like, wait, 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 wait. He's like, that, that is my signature. I said, oh, it's, you, you mean you signed the rate up? You, you, this is you mm -hmm. that's doing this? But before that, yeah. he was willing to go to the 10th level to put the responsibility back on someone else. That's a flag. And now I'm dealing with a dishonest person. Yeah. Right. So, you know, dishonesty, dishonesty is another thing. I'm not saying that I'm, I've always told the truth myself. I've, I lie too, right? And I've lied before and I try to correct that. But someone who will consistently do it and then, or do it and not recognize. Yeah. The error and correct. That's a flag. Yeah. Yeah. So in hindsight, I mean, this has been your, this industry has been your life and it seems fraught with bullshit. And I don't know, not that many good people, you know? So what is it that's kept you in it? And, uh, like, why are you still, why are you still in it? When I first got into it, I wanted to be, once I realized like all the different things that happened, yeah. I said to myself, you know what, with my business partner, we could be, here's something that the CEO of our current sponsor bank asked me when he agreed for me to go to the next level. Right. Because we have to have a, a shake on it, right? He says, you know what, you could be the first ethical company. This is him saying mm. that. You could be the first ethical payment processor. Now, why would he say that? Mm -hmm. Him saying that. Yeah. And everybody in the industry knows that it's a very unethical space. I don't care what color you are, what gender you are. Man, it's, it's serious, right? You got some very egomaniacal people in the industry, right? And today, and when I started with my business partner, I wanted to be the first ethical company yeah. that's a successful company, but also an ethical company. Mm. So that's what keeps me in it because there's no way that I can go and work with sales reps who've been in the industry for a long time or people generally in the industry for a long time and try to proselytize them and convert them to be these ethical people. Because yeah, yeah, all yeah. those things that I mentioned to you with all these fraud stories, there's a ton of people that could stop it. There's underwriters that could stop it. There's risk analysts that could stop it. There's a ton of people that could stop it. Banks could stop it, but everybody's making money. Mm -hmm. So fascinating. They'll say, I, I remember when all this stuff was happening, I'm talking to the people in the office that my partner was paying. Right. I'm not paying them, so they got to do what he says because now he's controlling all the money. Right. And I'm like, don't you see this? I'm just doing my job. Mm -hmm. Man. So what, what overall, so somebody who's watching this who, is you know wants the the perfect image of success and freedom that mm -hmm. comes there theoretically with <laughs> being a a business owner being an entrepreneur uh going out on their own and doing their their thing what uh what advice would you give them overall about ethics in business choosing people and what is like one thing for them to keep top of mind so that they don't end up in anywhere near the type of situations that you've been through well one is I actually appreciate my experiences, man, to be honest with you, because um, I always wanted to get a doctorate. 
Mm. And now I think I have one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't go, I didn't go to Yale or Harvard and, you know, and mine probably cost a few million dollars, but I have, a, I have, I have something now that I can share and that I can teach and that can, you know, guide me. So to answer your question, there's not just one thing, but I will say this. And I was listening to, uh, I can't think of the guy's name right now. He wrote some really good books, but he gave an example of like the fathers of capitalism, right? And I don't know if it's Milton or whoever the name is, but on one side of capitalism, they believe that the responsibility is to make the shareholder wealthy. Mm -hmm. Another side of capitalism is to make sure that the clients are taken care of mm -hmm. and by any means necessary. Right. And if you look at, remember, like everybody knows who Walmart is. Yeah. Right. And I don't know if you recall, but at one point in hand or during the Walmart tenure, CEOs changed. Right. And so one CEO came in, he was all about the shareholders and they started to go down. Mm. Then another CEO came in and changed it back to what Sam Walton was about. And it's all about the customers. Remember, Sam Walton would go to other stores and he would be on the ground looking at their products. Like he would be doing all kinds of things, not strictly for the benefit of just himself, but for the customers, yeah. for the client. Yeah. Right. And so that's the side of capitalism that I choose is to do everything and anything possible for the client. And that cannot include doing something that's unethical. Yeah. Right. And so if you look at the other side of it, to make the shareholders don't care, right? I just own the stock. Do whatever you got to do to make, you know, make that freaking thing double. Yeah. Backflip, whatever you got to do, right? Yeah. And so that's a different approach. I'm not saying that they're wrong for that. I think you can do that in an ethical way, but it's, I think it starts with the client because I remember reading Sam Walton's book and it like something he said in there hit me like a ton of bricks because I remember my business partner always saying, he's the CEO, he's this, he's that, he's that, right? It was just like an ego perspective. Mm -hmm. Sam Walton says that, The sales rep could be fired. Customer service could be fired. Tech support could be fired. COO could be fired. The CEO can be fired. Even the chairman of the board can be fired by their clients. Mm -hmm. So if the clients aren't happy, there is no business. So my suggestion to people will be make sure your clients are well taken care of by any means necessary. Wow. I would say in, in dealing with you and I, I, Seeing your praises wherever I go when the topic of merchant processing comes up, I because that. I know nobody has any clue mm. um, what actually happens in merchant processing, and um, so you have—it's uh, been nice to to have somebody that's been the demonstration of exactly what you're mm. what you're saying, because it is so so rare. And so, thank you for that. I oh, appreciate it, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. So, um, where should uh, where should people go to follow you? Or you want to point anybody anywhere? They can go to right now. They can just go to Kajra.com. You know, I'm not even not trying to sell anything, but they can go to K-H-A-A-Z-R-A.com. And I think I have some social media handles there. I think um, we'll put them all in the description. Yeah, too, here. To, you know, How about if they want to get a great merchant processor? They can go there too. Kajra.com okay. okay. or they can go to Ecom Payments IO. That's E-C-O-M-P-A. However you spell payments, right? P-A-Y-M-E-N-T-S, right? Yeah. Dot I-O. Okay. I-O. Yeah. But cool. they should be able to get there from Kajra.com as well. Beautiful, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming down. Thank you for um, all of that. Um, uh, we could honestly go on for four days probably. Right. Is there anything uh, that you'd like to close out with? There is. So I was really uh, 
honored, man, that you invited me to do this podcast because seeing how you run your business, top of the line quality, everything you do, you put a lot of thought behind it for your clients and you do it from an ethical standpoint as well. And it, it's, it makes it easy to work with people like you, right? Because there is a lot of shady characters that come for payment processing as well. A <laughs> yeah. ton, yeah. right? And they don't really have, and you know, I know everybody, they're trying to do their best, but like they're not, they're not learning what's necessary to mm-hmm. give their clients anything of value besides like these little quick, you know, high ticket sales. Yeah. There's nothing behind it, right? right? And so again, working with you, means that you also work with people like that as well, right? Facts. <laughs> <laughs> you attract that. Yeah. Just by your messages, you know, like if if someone comes to you and they don't have a legit business, it's not going to work. Right. It's just like your system isn't built like that. And so what I would like to do now is do what I wanted to do when I first got into payment processing. What I'm trying to do right now is by becoming this ethical company. And I think that so you and some of your audience can help me champion that. It's too late mm-hmm. for the people who are already in the industry. They're yep. gone, man. I'm telling you what, I work with sales reps all the time, John, and they, they care about the money, mm-hmm. the bottom line. That's it, right? And so instead of that, going into that red, super duper bloody ocean, I just jump into a new one mm. and work with people who already have that mindset, right? Who already have the bulletproof mindset, hey. right? And they're willing to go that extra step to, you know, maybe they're for a goal making a thousand dollars today because they don't want to take advantage of someone. Maybe they make 10,000 tomorrow, yeah. right? Who knows, right? Maybe they don't, but yeah. still they have that mindset. And so I would, if, if possible, I would like to start recruiting people in this blue ocean and then educate them properly, whether um, they be an affiliate a person, whether they have a following, whether they have uh, clients that need payment processing or they want to white label it, I want to work with those people and start an actual movement. Mm, change the industry. Change the industry, exactly. That's beautifully said, man. Well, if there's anybody that's going to do it, it's going to be you. Hey, man, appreciate it. So, Go. I appreciate it, bro. Thank you so much. Likewise, likewise. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for making it to the end, and I hope you got something out of it. The good news is I've got another one that you're going to like, and the link is right here. All you have to do is click it, and I'll start playing. So go ahead and click that now, and I'll see you in the next one.